Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Remedial Studies. Today, we're going to be discussing the latest installment in the Star Wars saga, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, We have a variety of hot takes to bring to you today. It's going to be interesting. Depending on if we've put out the bonus episode before this, uh, you will know that me and Hannah kind of have a little bit of a differing opinion on this film. In a, in a different way than we've had in previous installments of this podcast. I'm very excited to talk about this, though, because I did have a lot of thoughts, both while watching the movie and now thinking back on it. Um, did you have a similar experience, Hannah? Uh, I don't know. I It takes me a long time to digest things, so I had most of my thoughts were around some of the cinematography and the symbolism and imagery in the movie more so than like I think you had a lot of thoughts on like sequels and how this fits into the franchise as a whole and genre expectations and I I took maybe more of like a visual analysis of the film Mm -hmm. perhaps I think that's fair I don't think my feelings on the film are as strong as your feelings on the film like I'm (laughs) That's true. I'm a lot. No, I mean, I'm a lot more neutral than you are, I think, just about it. And maybe even Star Wars in general. (laughs) That could be very fair. I do, in general, have very strong feelings about Star Wars, which I carried with me into this movie. I want to be very clear. I don't hate it. I don't hate it by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) I don't want to rip it a new asshole or anything like that. Nothing that dramatic, but... I did have a lot of very strong feelings about there's a lot a lot's been made about how different it is both from Force Awakens and from like the other six Star Wars films the two uh trilogies that have come with it and I think a lot of what I've been thinking about since I saw the movie is why we place value on that kind of difference when we have this ongoing like long form kind of storytelling that's going on in star wars and i've heard this from multiple different people like i've talked to a couple of friends about it there's some people who really loved that it was really different there's people that really hated that it was really different so some of that might just be the expectations that you bring with you to see the film i did my best when the first time i saw it to really just not have any expectations and to just sort of take it as it was and then formulate my thoughts later. I think that was really helpful. But I I just kind of wondered what, what, if anything, you kind of thought of how Star Wars as a franchise does sort of live and die on those expectations of what are are we going to do? What's going to be the same? What isn't? If only because Force Awakens, as has been famously and heavily talked about, does follow a lot of the story structure of uh, New Hope, which is the OG Star Wars movies before I think they had subtitles. I think it was just called Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of a franchise that has the cultural influence and importance that Star Wars has on our collective consciousness Mm -hmm. so it's a very high stakes game because it's important to people on like on a deep level like it's a cross-generational thing and when people when people feel that that the sanctity of that is kind of threatened i think people don't respond well to that i think i'm one of the people who don't mind that they mess with the formula as much i saw this movie as a response to the to the previous movies throughout the previous movies there's there's all this stuff like there's these complicated family relationships and mm-hmm. oh my gosh you know my dad is Darth Vader and this is my twin that I've been smooching on yes. and i think i think star wars is really known for that there's also these kind of madcap shenanigans where there's not really a chance of them working out well but they do work out for whatever reason because we like a good underdog story because the force 
has decreed it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this movie is like, statistically speaking, this movie should happen. And I know, and I'm biased because I did read an interview by Ryan Johnson. I've been biased by that, I'm sure. (laughs) I mean, now I've read it. I've had the thought. I can't get rid of it. No, I totally feel that. The movie is about about failure and i think it makes sense that at some point these wonderful characters are gonna make decisions that are wrong and misguided and that they are going to fail and that they're gonna have to deal with the consequences of that failure which is ultimately or had finn and rose not gone on that ship on this madcap adventure like most of their fleet wouldn't have been destroyed it was DJ Benicio del Toro's character ratting them out, essentially. Right. That they brought on that ship that led to the annihilation of most of that fleet. So, I don't know. I think, in a weird way, I liked that there were consequences, if that makes sense. That makes sense to me. There's so often not consequences. Like, Luke directly doesn't listen to Yoda, and there's not... Well, he gets his hand chopped off, but that's... I th- he he does go through a lot of personal trauma because of that choice, to be fair. And then Han is, like, in a, the carbonite sheet. But, like, there's no mass... I feel like there's not mass murder as a result. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense to me. Yeah, because... And that's something I think we see a little bit in the prequel trilogy, which I think... George Lucas, in my opinion, is just not a very good writer. He's a very good filmmaker. He's just not a very good writer. You have the story of Anakin Skywalker already, like, set up. Like, that was a joke I made for a while that, like, Star Wars is, like, the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker, a play in six parts. Like, like that's... (laughs) Because it really is, like, his story. I love it so much. Yeah. And... When you have the ending already set up, I really think there can be, like, a lack of drama. Like, it made sense that they made the movies, I guess. I But I also feel bad that, like, Hayden, Hayden Christensen's career never recovered. In episode three, Revenge of the Sith, there is the whole sequence of Anakin really kind of turning the corner and becoming Darth Vader. Because of that choice, he essentially eradicates the Jedi Order. Yes. That, I think, at least in the prequels, aside from, like, the mass Clone War that happens that is detailed in the show The Clone Wars, it's the only real far-reaching consequence that I think kind of follows that same through line that is very Mm -hmm. different than uh, the consequences that were in the original trilogy. Like, obviously, millions of people died because Luke Skywalker blew up the Death Star. Yes, but they were evil. So exactly. That is not something that is shown on screen, and it's not given the same kind of emotional weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one of the reasons, to go back to the new trilogy and Force Awakens, that was one of the reasons I really, really liked that they made Finn a stormtrooper. Yes. Because, like, they're a joke. Uh-huh. Like, they really are. Like, throughout the whole culture of Star Wars, like, stormtroopers have kind of been a bit of a joke because they, they're incompetent and they can't hit anything and they're they're faceless. And to sort of take that narrative and turn it on its head with a, a main character was really, really cool. And it kind of showed the consequences of the, the overarching attitude of the First Order and how it had, it had inherited that from the Empire. Mm-hmm. To kind of go with that as well, what were your feelings about, you know I have feelings and I apologize, your feelings about how they, I don't want to say treated, that sounds bad, but how the narrative sort of worked differently with Finn in this movie versus Force Awakens, because I have seen some scuttlebutt. Um, I try hard to steer clear of discourse, but it's so hard sometimes when I I just want to get in on it. I had mixed feelings because I love Rose mm-hmm. a lot. Like, that character I'm about. And I think I saw something on Tumblr that was talking about how... Because, again, I've been... It's been too long. I've been, like, tainted by <laughs> what I've read. But before, like, uh, Finn starts the movie trying to run away. Not because he's a coward or he's afraid to die or whatever, but because, like, him and his homegirl, Ray. Like, they haven't committed to this. Oh, I mean, absolutely Ray, not. 
Ray maybe has, but Finn really hasn't. He's been trying to get Ray to run to go with him somewhere else and stay out of it for a really long time. I mean, well, the whole first movie, anyway. That was a big thing for them, was he was like, we need to go. There is no fighting this hurricane. You know, the movie for him and getting in that point where he confronts Captain Phasma, like, it's about him and the whole trip to the casino planet or whatever. It is about him seeing the impact that war has on regular people. Yes, and I really liked that about this movie. Yes, and I think that was the movie's real strength is that it acknowledged that this conflict that's been going on has consequences on a more personal level. Like, it's it affects people at the individual level in a way that it doesn't really matter what side you're on the conflict. I think we see that a lot in our own political situation. It doesn't matter what side of the conflict your country is on, you as, like, a normal civilian don't, you don't care. It sucks. Like, it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. The conflict is ultimately, it's bad. It's hurting you whether or not, you know, your country's on the morally, I put that in, in scare quotes, the morally right side or not or whatever they're fighting over. Yes, I think what I liked about the casino sequence was first of all, it gave us Benicio Del Toro's character, who had a really good comment when they steal that ship about mm-hmm. how the the arms manufacturer that owns it does work with the First Order and the Resistance. That in this is, in essence, how this creme de la creme 1% that they've seen in this casino that that fought, that are sort of being entertained by the whims of those beneath them how they got their money yeah capitalism don't care capitalism don't give a (laughs) shit and how they play both sides because to them it doesn't matter it's not a matter of right and wrong it's not a matter of light and dark it is there's two sides both of them need what i can offer why wouldn't i work both yeah and that is something we have not seen in star wars before no no, I think the closest we get is, like, the guy that owns, like, Anakin's mom. Yes, the weird guy who I've read in some criticism is vaguely anti-Semitic. Uh, yeah, why, well, yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. not, maybe not so vaguely. Uh, <laughs> oh. Now that I'm, like, now that my brain is flashing back. Yeah, but he's, yeah, because yeah, it's something about Liam Neeson qui-gon who is trying to do the jedi mind thing where he's like you know credits will be fine and he's like no you give me real money (laughs) like i don't i don't give a shit about your jedi mumbo jumbo yeah i like that (laughs) a little bit you know i don't know i feel like jedis as cool as being a jedi would be they're a little they're a little sanctimonious they are i would agree with that they're not fun they're not fun and i really think what i wanted for kylo ren in this movie that he almost kind of alludes to in that big beautifully choreographed and shot fight sequence with ray where he kills snoke which was like the best five minutes of film i've seen all year where he talks about you know the sith and the jedi need to end and all this other stuff i was like on board i was like yes yes the force is just the force. We we don't need to have these two forces sort of against each other. And then that kind of got left off towards the end of the movie. And I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about that. That is something I've thought about since... Because I saw the prequels first. Because I was in that age group. That that was our mm-hmm. Star Wars. Like, that's what you grew up with. And then I saw the originals when I was probably, like, starting high school. It was probably when I was, like, 15. But a big thing that I saw after that. I've been trying to read more of like the extended universe novels, which are a lot of them are like really, really good. The whole idea of the Jedi is really what created Darth Vader and what created the Sith and Mm -hmm. this pure, almost like purism. I almost said Puritanism, but I don't know if that would be entirely accurate, but (laughs) this whole 
purest mindset is really what creates their own enemies. And I think that's an interesting thing about like the 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 size of the force is anytime and maybe we'll get to see more of this as um the films develop, mm-hmm. you know, as they go on. But I think anytime you break something down into a hard line binary, I think there's something damaging about that. I mean, we see that a lot in our own gender politics. Like, if you break things down into, like, this is how men should act, this is how women should act, like, that's ultimately harmful. Yes. I know that I prefer continuums myself, so I get a little bit, now that I'm older, I get a little bit wiggly about the whole light side, dark side. I agree with that. I've I've also been doing that in my more advanced age. I think what, what what makes the story of the Sith and the story of the dark side interesting to me is they sort of, for for some of them, they really sort of sit in that truth of being this antagonistic thing against a force that they do not believe in in a way mm. that I feel is more narratively effective than the Jedi do. Because, like, the Jedi, and I think this is shown partially in the prequel trilogy, like, the Jedi are wrong, and they are capable <laughs> of being wrong. And I yeah. and I think that was why when Luke sort of leaves Yoda at the end of Empire Strikes Back, I think why that really didn't bother me is because I had that context. Yeah, it's it's like the Jedis have ideals, but the dark side has goals. Yes, I like that a lot. There are a lot of unfinished feeling lines in this movie, and I think that's the thing that I liked about it the least. Like, they had that gambling guy that they were supposed to go see. And then they never actually did anything with it. And then they had, I don't remember her name, Mads, the, what is Yes, the the woman who owned, like, the bar at the place where they got attacked in Force Awakens, Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, she shows up for like 10 seconds and that's weird. And then I don't know. There mm, there's just just some stuff. I just felt some things just felt unfinished to me. I would agree with that. And then like even Benicio del Toro's character, I think so many things were felt like mechanisms instead of fully developed like things. I agree with that. I have a big issue with how they pumped up Captain Phasma. And she's there for, like, three minutes, and then she dies. And I'm like, you're gonna do my girl, Gwendolyn Christie, like that? But also, she somehow has higher billing than Kelly Marie Tran, which is its own issue. Yeah, I don't... Kelly, where... She should be... My girl should be higher up in the list. She should be, like, with John and Oscar. Yeah. Like, that was... That makes sense to me. The big issue I had with how women were handled in this film... Even though they were given, like, places of authority, which I thought was cool. Like, Carrie Fisher really did nothing in this movie. Laura Dern, who I love. She was, what was she? She was the Admiral. Who ended up being super badass. I don't know. I think there was an issue I took. I understood its purpose within the narrative. And how, like, it kind of showed that Finn, while very important to the audience, is not the big wig he clearly thinks he is. Hmm. Um, where she was like, you don't need to know that. I kind of had a weird love-hate relationship with that because I didn't particularly like how they that sort of painted the resistance as being very authoritarian. But also, it still made sense. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. Well, did you notice that they gave her like a saint's halo? Ooh. Like her headpiece? I didn't, but now that you mention it. Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed right away. And then she does end up martyring herself in, like, the most cinematically... Shot of the year. Is Yeah, the shot of the year, the most, you know, the most... I don't want to call it beautiful, but the most impactful yes. two seconds of the movie. Yeah. She does end up martyring herself. And I think martyrdom is an interesting motif in this movie. Yes. Because the captains keep, like, driving the ships and getting blown up. Yeah, and even, like, at the end on the salt planet with Finn, I take a little bit of issue with this, but that it's a very small thing. 
about how he at the end of the day is ready to just like essentially sacrifice himself to blow up the big thing that's going to blast the doors open i guess my whole issue is that the film takes place over a sequence of like hours and at the beginning of the film and for all of force awakens he is like i get what you guys are going for i don't really buy into it because i know what you're up against yeah. Well, I think it does kind of follow the Force Awakens thing where he, at the end of that movie, he was 100% ready to throw down with Kylo, even though there was no way he could win. So I think that is the precedent for that, where he's willing to sacrifice himself. It, it felt a bit unsupported by the narrative. Yeah, it was sort of random. It was a bit random. And then, like, how Rose is the one who stops him, even though, well, I guess you could say because of her sister, if we wanted to speculate. But that was, I think, my issue with his particular part of it was that it did not feel supported by the rest of the movie. I think if they had done more with the casino scene, particularly with character with him and Rose, I think it wouldn't have been that big of an issue. It, it, it just it just seemed this. And I know I don't go to Star Wars for realism. Don't come at me. It didn't <laughs> seem realistic to make that kind of 180 turn. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between emotional realism and, like, plot realism anyway. That's fair. So, I support you. It, it is a relatively small beef, but it was a beef I wanted to bring up. <laughs> okay, do you want to talk about Ray and Luke now? I do want to talk. I want to talk about Ray and Luke. And I was tainted before I even saw this movie. Um, which I, I shouldn't have done, but I tried and I tried really hard not to, but I couldn't help it, <laughs> of how uh, Mark Hamill doesn't like this Luke Skywalker. I mean, he's not a very likable guy in this movie anyway. Something got lost. Do you know what I mean? Something did get lost because I support the idea of taking advantage of the amount of time between when we see Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi and when we see him in this film, of being like, you know, sh he's seen some shit. <laughs> and he he is bitter and old. And, and I don't think that was the real issue I took. The issue I took with it was how they then portrayed that attitude throughout the rest of the characters. Mm -hmm. My big thing, and this is my thing... <laughs> About how he supposedly, his, his first reaction was to kill Kylo. Or to kill Ben. He was still Ben at that time. Because here's my thing. <laughs> and this is, of course, because I love Mark Hamill. I will be 100% upfront about that. If you have a character that can look Space Hitler, Darth <laughs> Vader, in the face and say they're still good in you. When he looks at somebody and thinks they're not worth saving, my immediate reaction is to believe him. <laughs> And I, and I understand that is not a reaction everybody had. And that's totally fair. And like looking back on it, that's kind of simplistic. I think here's my big thing. And here's the big thing with Last Jedi. And I think the issue I take with Ryan Johnson in particular. When you take on something like Star Wars, it is like the biggest thing I can think of to sort of, it's not a one-to-one because -one it's acting versus writing. But like when you get cast to be the doctor. You are not the owner of that thing. You are its caretaker. Yeah. And you are you are handling it for a, a very brief time. And that's how I've always seen the Star Wars movies, especially now that we've moved past George Lucas being personally involved in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I want to believe J.J. Abrams took very seriously. It could just be an issue of... I can't think about these millions of people that have all these expectations. I'm going to go crazy. I'm just going to do the story I think should be told. And that's not unfair. But it also could have been like, I'm going to do what I want. Which I don't think when you get to that level and when you get trusted with something like that is something you can do everything towards that end. Right. Well, I think Ryan Johnson, from the interview I read with him, he had something that he wanted to say. And I think he may have sacrificed some of Luke's character to get where he wanted to go. And I don't know that I support that particular decision, but it didn't make or break the movie for me. That is fair. I will say that. It did not make or break the movie for me. Yeah, I think what happened is he had something that he wanted to say, and I think he... Whether he realizes or realizes it or not, maybe bent some things into a shape that he needed them to be to support the thing that he wanted to say. 
whether or not that jives with the franchise or our expectations for Star Wars or not. He had something he wanted to say, and he was going to say it, and he did a little bit of tweaking to make it possible to say the thing. So I don't know how I feel about that necessarily. That's a very fan fiction thing to do. (laughs) When you're writing it for fun on the internet, it's one thing. Mm -hmm. When it's going to be canon forever and always... It's a bit of another. And that might be an unfair comparison. I don't know. Do you want to just talk about, for all of Ryan Johnson's faults, that the movie was beautiful? Yes. It was beautifully shot. The cinematography was on point. The production was, like, the actual, like, art and set production was amazing. Mm -hmm. There were so many, like, all the fight choreography was great. Yes. It was wonderfully produced, and I loved I loved looking at it yes. for two and a half hours. <laughs> it was. It was really beautiful. And there's some scenes in there that were just like, you could feel the breath that just go out of the audience in the theater. That mm-hmm. scene where, where she does take the um, ship through the destroyer. Yeah. I'm still thinking about I that. I know. Like a month later, I'm still thinking about it. I know. It's it. like, because you just, I couldn't breathe for a second. It was that impactful. It was like a flash went off and it was like a black and white photograph was being taken in. Like the feeling I had when that happened, even though I understood what was going to happen like before it happened, mm-hmm. like I knew exactly what she was going to do when she turned the ship around, even though I knew that. I was just, it was like someone smacked me across the face with a fish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, I totally agree with that. It was an incredibly impactful moment. Especially since her character is not likable. Oh, absolutely not. I still don't necessarily like her as like, I don't want to like hang out and get drinks after work with her. But like, I respect her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where Poe came down on it. Like I was with Poe. I'm like, this lady doesn't know what she's doing. She's going to like martyr the whole fleet. Like, this is unacceptable. I don't know what this is about. And then at the end of the day, like, had Poe just sat, sat his ass down and listened to this woman, more of the fleet would have survived. Right. I remember that article, Toxic Masculinity is the Real Villain of Last Jedi. And I, and I think that's real. I don't think Poe is the real villain of Last Jedi. I saw that, I saw that and I was like, you want to start with me. Poe is a, is a flawed protagonist and that's fundamentally different than being a villain. Exactly. Because, and I think we see this in the force awakens in that he is very much a part of leia's like inner circle like she trusts him with a lot of really sensitive information regardless of his rank Mm -hmm. and when he runs into an authority figure who does not have that intrinsic relationship with him he reacts poorly to it yeah and let's be clear leia did demote him she did she did demote him because he was an idiot yeah and and i think that's something that i liked about this movie is that it continually it spoke to the cost of these kinds of conflicts like when at that end of the first fight scene the first space battle scene all of those icons are not lit up anymore yeah this is the real cost of winning a conflict like that yeah and i remember in that whole sequence, he's just one dude in a plane. Mm-hmm. He he's the opposite end of that of that sacrifice spectrum where he like believes in the cause and he's drank the Kool Aid and he will one hundred percent throw his life down on the line. But he doesn't quite get how that affects the other people mm-hmm. that he's fighting with. And I think that was the real lesson of that first battle. It's not just him. Yes. And that is a very important lesson, I think, again, to sort of the overarching theme of the cost of conflict and how it never is just you. If you're involved in things like that, that's where that really starts is with Poe. He is this handsome, incredibly likable, talented pilot. There's a flip side that goes with all those really great traits. And those aren't necessarily examined in the previous movies, like with Luke, who is kind of similar. Yeah, he's he's just as much of a flyboy as Poe is. Right. So it's like, here, here's the consequences of being like that. 
So, I don't know. I liked, I did like that. I did not like the puffin things. Oh my god, I hated them. I hated them, and I'm sorry to anyone who listens to this show who really likes them. You do you. They were stupid. Yeah, they serve no narrative purpose. They're there to sell toys. Yes. I wasn't really about that. That was another thing that made it feel like unfinished. There were all these accessory characters, like the frog nun things better than the fish. Because they were like funny. But the are the fish, the puffins. I know, the frog nuns could stay. The frog nuns can stay, the puffins can go. I didn't really, I'm going to be totally honest with you all, I didn't really get like the seaweed maw thing and like how that was like a manifestation of the dark side. I didn't really get that whole sequence. That was very strange to me. I got what it was going for, but that was pretty much it. It felt very abstract to the point where I'm like, what, what is this? Yeah, to talk about that and that whole sequence, I think that's a good segue to talking about Ray. Yes, excellent. Because I have some feelings, <laughs> as I always do. I was really glad Raylo didn't happen. I'm I'm gonna lead with that. I'm really glad Raylo did not happen. I was living in in fear the whole time. I was literally like, my mother looked at me and was like, are you okay? And I'm like, uh, I'll see you in 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, because I, I was really scared. And the reason, the reason I was really happy Raylo didn't happen is I was really scared throughout the whole goddamn movie that it was going to fall into the trap of her having to fix him. Which is a narrative trope that even though I indulge in it every once in a great while, I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Because it shows that, like, women need to fix men in order to, like, prove their worth. Or they need to save people. And I'm like, that is not anyone's job. <laughs> regardless of gender. Like, that is not. You are never beholden to save or fix a future partner. Mm-hmm. Or a current partner, for that matter. <laughs> Again, we talked about this in, in the production meeting. Like, 15-year-old Rachel, who didn't know shit about anything, like, would have bought that wholesale. So there's a part of me that, like, kind of kind of gets the appeal. But there's another part of me that's like, there is no way... In a, even in a 150-minute movie, there is no way you can jump through the narrative hoops that would make it okay. Well, at the end of the movie, too, and I think this is why I was ultimately okay with it, even though I was nervous the whole time, and there's that whole shirtless scene that I don't think was necessary. It was not necessary. I, I appreciate the fact that Adam Driver used to be a Marine, but, like, that's not necessary. I was so, like, I had Ray's exact reaction, which is like, can you please cover yourself? (laughs) Can you please put a shirt on? Like, the movie even questioned whether or not that it was necessary, so it should have been edited out, first of all. Anyway, but at the end of the movie, even if she tries to save him, which I think in a weird way that she does, because she believes Mm -hmm. that it will return balance to the force, or whatever it is that she believes, or because she has a personal connection to him, because they are sort of the only two people who who have shared this very specific experience of coming into their Jedi powers, or their force powers, or whatever. Um, so I get why it would be natural for them to tr- to form a personal connection, because I think they do have this unique experience in common. But ultimately, the movie says, like, Rey cannot fix him. Yeah. She tries, she reaches out her hand, and all he has to do is call off the attack on the rebel armada, and he won't do it. Yeah, I I read a very interesting comment about that scene, about how it shows that being good, capital G, is often not just choosing something once. You have to keep doing it. And I think what that scene shows is that Kylo Ren is ultimately unwilling to do that. And I think what ultimately, why he saved Rey doesn't have anything to do with good or bad or light and dark. It's his own personal connection to this person is the only person he, I think, has connected to in a long time. 
Yeah, and I can see how, if that's the case, how you would want to cling to that. The movie does show him as as not a good person when he tells her who her parents are. I think that's a lie. I straight up think that that's a lie because of the follow-up line, you're nothing but not to me. Well, I think that's what I'm kind of getting at. Because Okay, so here's the thing. I don't think Ryan Johnson thinks that's a lie. Whether or not new writers, the next upcoming writers will respect that. I honestly do think Ryan Johnson did that on purpose based on, yeah, based on the interview I read or the article that I read, that he wants to return Ray to more of an Anakin place where he's just the son of a slave from the desert more than he wants to continue the... um. He doesn't want her to be like a legacy. Right, and it's and, and it's to speak more about the Force being not a hereditary thing, but more of a like anyone could have these abilities and, and making it more of an everyman story again instead of, you know, the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, I guess I get that, but I also think we could do that with Finn. Yeah, we could. Who I do believe is Force-sensitive. Yes. But that's a whole other issue. <laughs> I think my feelings on that, it does kind of go back to the fact that Star Wars is, in essence, the story of the Skywalker family. So in my mind, again, thinking if we're going to meet that kind of thing. To me, it would make sense for her to be a legacy. I was, I walked out of Force Awakens fucking convinced she was a Skywalker. I'll be real. I don't think either is better than the other at some point. I think it's kind of a false equivalency, to be honest, to compare her to Anakin because Anakin was like space Jesus in that he was formed out of like midichlorians. Oh, yeah. You know what? I forgot that he... I forgot about that. Like his mom was totally normal and his mom was a slave on Tatooine and like that shouldn't be But discounted. he was space Jesus. I forgot about that. He was space Jesus and, and that I forgot about that because I hated it. So I was just like, that's not a thing. <laughs> What's my own fear? I, I, I just erase. If sometimes if I don't like things and they're not, they never come up again. Yes, yeah, I don't think it ever came up again after Phantom Menace. I just forget because I don't like it. So that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think if you take the half of his life that comes from his mother, I think that's fair. But also he was space Jesus. Yeah, I. that's on me for forgetting that. That's okay. There's a lot. There's a lot in the Star Wars universe. I don't care for that at all. <laughs> I don't either. I don't like it. I think it would have been better if he was just a, again, like if he was if he was just a normal dude. Yeah. Who had come from nothing, who just happened to have these great talents that were in essence being squandered by virtue of the circumstances of his birth. I think that would have been a much more impactful origin story. Mhm. And what could be impactful for Ray. Yes. I think it's just because I'm very attached to the idea. And this is something I think Ryan Johnson tried to do or could have tried to do with Kylo of that is present sort of in Finn of being that mediator between the light and the dark and understanding the hypocrisies in both. Yes. I mean, they obviously both go to their separate extremes mm-hmm. by the end of the movie. Which is fine. Minor complaint. I think my my issue really with how Kylo behaves in the film is sort of, it goes back to the time thing. And how this movie supposedly takes place in a matter of hours. And how it kind of flip, he kind, his flip-flopping, well, not unrelatable, um, <laughs> is... Again, that, that sort of emotional realism is something I brought into question. Certainly not enough to ruin the movie for me by any by any means. Yeah. Um, but it was something I thought about like while I was watching it. I'm like, so you were like on board with this like three hours ago and now you're not. But that also might be a way to show how he, he does – he – like Poe doesn't quite understand the actual physical consequences of the rebellion. Maybe Kylo doesn't understand the emotional ones of what he wants to do. Yeah. I mean that's very possible. I know I've seen a lot of quote-unquote discourse around as Star Wars has progressed – the nature of the villain has changed to reflect the time and 
this idea of a radicalized young man of privilege being the cause of so mm. much of so much suffering and conflict is is a very real fear that at least some of us have. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that because I know we've talked about this off air before. Like obviously the first the, uh, the empire were Nazis. Yes. Like that was not subtle. So the first order is like the neo-Nazi equivalent of taking the privileged and the susceptible and radicalizing them. I really think is something that's reflected in Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. And taking the ideals of an established prior order and uh, sort of, again, radicalizing or reviving them. Yeah, I don't know that the return of popularity of Star Wars, I don't know that it's a coincidence that it corresponds to this global resurgence of totalitarianism. (laughs) If you catch my drift. No, I think that's totally fair because that's the whole thing especially in the original trilogy, is fighting against this almighty power and proving that it'll be undone by not just, like, hope and goodness, which is what eventually redeems Darth Vader at the very end of his life and what causes him to renounce the dark side, but by taking a stand, kicking ass, and taking names. Yeah. Um, My last comment that I wanted to bring up because I forgot to bring it up when we talked about the Rey and Kylo fight. Oh, yeah. Does Star Wars have a villain problem? Because it spent Force Awakens, and this might also be the difference between J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. There's a lot of the Force Awakens that was spent building up kind of this weird mystique around Snoke mm-hmm. and like who he was going to be. And while it was a great emotionally impactful scene to have Kylo be the one that kills him, it was ultimately just kind of like, oh, that's it. Yeah. And that's been something that I've noticed in villains before yeah. in the Star Wars universe. We've seen kind of that before. I remember in the original prequels, especially with like Count Dooku. Yeah. Who, they got Christopher Lee to be Count Dooku and he was still kind of lame. True, though. I mean, I feel like Jabba the Hutt's really been the best Star Wars villain. He's been the most consistent Star Wars villain, certainly. Do you know who the OG, and I'm going to get shit for this, and I don't give a fuck. Do you know, and by shit, I mean from one specific person in our friend group. Um, (laughs) There is the OG, the reason I think that Star Wars has a villain problem, Boba Fett. Oh, yeah, weird. They built that up. They tried to do so much, kind of, and then he gets thrown into a fucking, like, Zorlock pit. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's it. And of course, Star Wars is very much a franchise focused on the hero. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. So many of the villains in Star Wars leave me kind of going, that's it. So I hope we're stepping away from that with the choices they made with Kylo Ren and having him be a more vocal and more involved villain like how Darth Vader was in the yeah. original series. He's a little bit more complicated. He's had a little bit more on-screen development time. And, you know, people are emotionally invested in him, whether or not that's misguided or not. I really enjoyed Adam Driver's performance. He's a good actor. He's a very good actor. And there's parts of Kylo Ren that I like as in this in a similar way that I tend to like villains and that I get very invested in them. Because it's something that I wanted to talk about and I want to have your opinion on is I, I saw this post somebody made. I don't I think it might have been about Kylo Ren, but I think it was about just in general how people react to villainy mm-hmm. is the difference from person to person in their kind of power fantasy that they like to live out. <laughs> oh, they were getting a little kinky here. Um, <laughs> but in that how for some people like having a villain kind of sit in their truth and be villainous and be evil is a power fantasy, but for some other people, like, having them be redeemed could be a power fantasy. I think the character, to make a pull from Tumblr culture circa 2012, oh God, I think the real OG character in? we need to look at this is Loki. Oh, Avengers, J. Joss Whedon, Loki. I just astral projected. <laughs> Dude, no, I literally thought of that in the middle of my last sentence, and I'm like, we gotta go here. Nothing new ever happens on the internet. <laughs> it all comes it all comes circling oh. around and kind of to go back to my 
a comment I made earlier in this episode about the difference between Kylo Ren fans who are like, there goes my trash husband and <laughs> my sweet child who did nothing wrong. Yes. Spoiler alert, he has done things wrong. We can talk about the motivations behind those things, and that can be a very productive and interesting conversation. But it's cool motive still murder. <laughs> yeah. That is something I've been thinking about lately, is the difference in power fantasy and how it can affect how we interpret villainy. Yes. And to make another pool, there's a big difference between like, my, this character behaves badly and does bad things and you're ignoring that they do bad things versus a legitimate redemption arc that is yes. fully developed and well executed. It's Zuko. Zuko fucking set the precedent for narrative arcs. That is a redemption arc. And if you're not up to that standard, I'm probably not interested. And I'd rather have a character that sits comfortably in their villainy and is just like evil. I think there's also shades of gray that are interesting to explore. But like, I think my focus is more on like, we need to call it what it is and not live in like this weird place where we say that like Kylo Ren is you know, oh gosh, Luke did this stuff and blah, 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 blah. I'm not interested in that. You know what I mean? I agree with that. There are some things that are not justifiable and I think the murder of innocent people is one of them. Just going out, I know, why would I say something so controversial? But It's so brave. It's so brave. But <laughs> I want to call it what it is and I think that's where my problem is. I'm I'm cool with whatever, but let's call the thing what it is let's call a spade a spade yeah and i've also found it interesting the difference between kylo fans who ship raylo and who don't yes i found that i'm usually more on the side of the people who don't just because i don't like raylo like if you do like you can do whatever you want i'm not your mom (laughs) because i've read i have read some fan fiction one of them a person who i consider a very good friend publishes that's like kylo and like an original character and like i would much rather people just do that like make your own story yeah you have the technology but again that's that's sort of what i get stuck on i get that's the thing and there's always something i feel like with anything i like or dislike there's like something i get stuck on and for me it was it was raylo in this movie the movie explored maybe going there and then it was like the natural conclusion of this is that it should not happen (laughs) yes i agree with that and i liked that because my beef wasn't necessarily whether or not they explored it it was how they were gonna either close it out or continue it yes and i feel like it was closed out and like put to bed in a way that made sense to me and kept kylo as this alienated villain who ultimately can't get past his alienation like he wants to rule the universe with ray essentially and that's really weird and messed up and ray is like no we're not doing that and i think that made a lot that's of not sense a thing yeah I agree. i'm gonna ray isn't like i'm gonna i'm gonna try and change this man's opinion she's like well i'm out now thanks bye Yeah, that's the part of it that I liked, is that she, at the end of the day, was like, cool, you made your choice, (laughs) bye. Yeah, that was good. Um, Which, it worried me that she was not going to do that. Any final thoughts on this movie as we wrap up? Uh, You know, not really. I mean, I would just say that, well, I understand what Ryan Johnson was trying to do. I make I think maybe he was a little heavy-handed in his execution and I it'll be interesting to see if this movie is signaling a departure from as you were saying like the Star Wars being about the Skywalker family to mm-hmm. to see if it's signaling a departure from that arc to move somewhere else or if it's sort of just like a little blip. Yeah, I think it's really going to hang on the choices cuz JJ Abrams is now signed on to direct episode 9. I think it's going to hang on the choices he makes. Yeah, so we'll see. I'm really interested to see where the franchise is going to go next after this movie. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's signaled a potential branching at the very least. Right. And I think that that could be a good thing. I think, like, like as much as I I want to cling to the comfort of my structure, um, I I think it could be a, a very good thing narratively to sort of take that wide lens and kind of go back a bit. 
and how it's like, is it just this trash family that keeps fucking up the whole galaxy? <laughs> uh, the other thing, my last thought, and what might have been my favorite thing about the whole movie, there are two things I want to talk about. One of them is an actor who will not get the credit he deserves, and that's Domino Gleason, who played Hux. Nice. Because only an Irishman could put that much slimy Britishness into one character. Oh, so true. And the second thing I wanted to talk about that I really liked was at the very end of the movie about how even though Luke does die or become one with the Force, he didn't give Kylo the satisfaction of killing him. Yes. There's something about that that I just really liked. Because that's his whole thing, I feel like. That's like a natural end to like Kylo's whole thing with Luke is destroying this master that he views as sort of creating him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Luke, it basically tells him, like, I think the line is like, wow, everything that you just said was wrong. Yes. <laughs> and then he essentially bamps out in his designer Gucci robes and his new haircut and is like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Yes. Like, there there was something, is that is a strong departure from the Jedi Masters that we have seen in the past. <laughs> That's a power move, and I loved it. It was a, exactly, it was a power move. And I really enjoyed that glimpse at the old sass master Luke Skywalker. Yes, agreed. Uh, he left on his terms. Yes, he did leave on his terms. I, I think at the end, I am still, the end of the movie, I did still kind of look forward to what was next and like how they're going to rebuild or not with the resistance and how they're going to deal with the renewed vigor i'm sure kylo ren will bring to his campaign across the universe yeah we'll see how it goes yeah wasn't two and a half hours wasted wasn't 10 bucks wasted which sometimes that's about that's all you can ask for and the rest is just cream cheese hey fellow robots that will wrap us up for today we hope that you liked hearing us go back on forth on the various pros and cons of the last jedi i know we really enjoy doing that kind of thing if you want to give us your opinions about your own trash husbands we welcome them you can reach us at remedial studies podcast at gmail.com you can reach us on twitter at remedial studies you can reach us on tumblr at remedial studies podcast.tumblr.com Next time, we will be talking about the phenomenon that is uh, Stranger Things. So I have to watch all two seasons uh, in the next two weeks. You're going to burn through it. It's going to be great. My mom and I, for reference, watched all of season two in like the two days of Christmas. Wow. So uh, I'm going to probably emerge from a blanket cocoon in like five days and be like, what just happened to my life? Pretty much. I'm very excited, though, because that that is a show that I very much enjoy and that I have I have a lot to say about, which is kind of the point of the show. I'm sure that I will, too, once we get there, because I've seen the gifts. I know what's up. But anyway, until next time. You know, give us a shout if you want to like a review on any of our plethora of platforms. We would really appreciate it. It brings joy to our cold, bitter hearts. Uh, So until next time, fare thee well, robots. Fare thee well.